Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of I Don't Imagine Anyone's Listening, which is a podcast where I talk about basically whatever I want because I don't imagine that anyone's listening. (laughs) I don't think anyone else is going to find that as funny as I do, but I think it's hilarious and it's staying in. Uh, I am your host, uh, Monica Maruder. I am a writer, editor, bookseller, general internet nobody, and now podcaster. Basically, I am an ordinary person with uh, some extra time and a lot of opinions, so I'm going to inflict them upon the rest of you. I'd apologize, but I think I'm right about everything, so you're welcome. Today, for my first episode, I am going to start with a controversial subject. Controversial amongst the people that I hang out with anyway, and it's whether writing in books is uh, an abomination and a defacement of the best thing man has ever created or uh, the sign of an active reader. This is uh, something that my opinion has changed on multiple times throughout the course of my um, short but not that short life. When I first discovered the idea, I don't remember, maybe discover is not the right word, but when it first occurred to me that writing in books was a thing that people did, I was all for it. And I actually did it uh, kind of a lot. Uh, I was probably, no, I was definitely, I was in high school. Um, and I, I was, I think, a sophomore in high school. We were reading The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. And I wrote a lot of things in the margins, but uh, not in, in the copy that I own and have in front of me, actually. Uh, it's the first chapter has nothing written in it because I read the school's copy for the first chapter and then I bought my own copy and started writing things in the margins. And uh, a few months ago, I gave the book to my mom so that she could read it. And she actually had a great time reading all the notes that I wrote when I was 16. So that might go in the pro column. Broadly speaking, when it comes to marking things up, I am anti-highlighter but pro-underlining. I'll get to this uh, later where I've I've landed on in, in the whole debate, um, but I am decidedly anti-highlighter. I have highlighted things in books for sure. That's uh, something I regret, but you know, college was a wild time for all of us. The book in question that I'm thinking of is my, uh, it was a textbook. It was Ducor's Dramatic Theory and Criticism. Um, if nothing else, the highlighted portions tell me which sections I had to read. Um, so I know which, if I ever decide to just crack that open and read it cover to cover, I'll know what I haven't read before. But I find that highlighting inspires a, um, overzealousness and I just end up highlighting everything. Maybe I just like highlighting. Maybe I just like putting marker to paper. It's just a tactilely satisfying experience. If there's any pro-highlighter people in the crowd, um, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Say I'm willing to be convinced, but this is one thing I'm pretty sure I've made up my mind about. Unlike the pencil or pen debate, that I could be convinced on. At the moment, I'm pencil only, but I could be convinced that pens are fine. So I decided to rethink my stance on writing in books, because after my initial very gung-ho, yes, let's write in books, put all kinds of notes in the margins, um, you know, 16-year-old enthusiasm, um, I shifted gears. I don't know at what time or if anything specific prompted this, but then I became an uh, absolute anti-writing-in-books person. I 
never wanted to do it again. I was going to eschew my former book writing ways and only ever remember things. Maybe write them down or something. Uh, you know, elsewhere in notebooks, because of course, I'm the kind of person who owns several empty notebooks and is just looking for things to fill them with. But I think I've changed my mind recently, because um, it occurs to me, or it occurred to me, after I loaned my old copy of The Four Loves to my mom, and she enjoyed reading all my notes, is that Sure, note writing in margins is for you, the initial reader and person who owned the book, but then it's also for anyone else who happens to pick up that copy of the book. And I was reminded of the fact that I found in my parents' house an old copy of Plato's Republic, green cloth-bound hardcover that... I discovered belonged to my dad's dad. I don't know how we ended up with it because he's still alive. Um, but for some reason, his copy of the Republic is in our possession. And I was flipping through it and he wrote notes in the margins and underlined things and just actively engaged with this text while he was reading it. And now I get to experience that because even though my grandfather is still alive and I do see him on a semi-regular basis, I'm not super close to him. Um, just not the kind of relationship that we have or are likely going to have. But it gave me an interesting window into this uh, person that I thought I knew reasonably well. But um, there's always more depths to be plumbed in every human soul. And uh, because reading is such a, uh, a, a personal and solitary experience, um, as even if you are, something is read to you or you read along with somebody in a book club or, or whatever your experience of reading that book is truly unique to you, you're the only person who read that in this way or made a connection to something else, either a personal experience or something else that you've read or seen or heard. So to note that down in the text itself lets future readers or owners of that book uh, have that experience along with you in a way that they wouldn't otherwise have been able to. And there's uh, something timeless or immortalizing about that. Not that I uh, necessarily care if, you know, future generations of my family, if there are any, uh, I have a, a view into my mind, but it's nice to know that it's, it's there in certain books that I've read and I think are important for other people to read. Um, the Four Loves being a really great example, I was assigned that book in my sophomore year of high school uh, when I was about 16, and I thought it was great, and I obviously need to revisit it because I was, oh wow, 13 years ago <laughs> that I read that, but I, I, I tell everybody to read that book, even though I've only read it the one time. 
But now, if they want to borrow my copy, they can see what my 16-year-old brain thought about all the chapters except the first one, because I remember writing post-it notes for chapter one, but I don't know what happened to them. Probably threw them out. And a great purge. A great cleaning purge. Though I can't claim that all writing in books is good. Like, there's certain books I would never bother to write in if you're not necessarily reading trash or fluff, but something that's good, but not necessarily profound. I read a lot of Agatha Christie and other similar mystery novels. I would never think to pick up a pen <laughs> or a pencil, excuse me, um, and take notes on that. I might maybe, I hate using the word journal as a verb, but I guess it is a verb. Uh, I might make note of something uh, funny or something that I wanted to remember, but not in the book itself. I would probably write it down somewhere else in one of my many empty notebooks. And there's certain things that just don't require further thought. If you're just reading a classical mystery novel, like a good old Agatha Christie, I'm sure you're enjoying it in the moment, but it's unlikely it's going to stick with you in a deep way, in a profound way. You might be impressed by the cleverness of the plotting or the twistiness, which is part of the cleverness of the plotting. I don't have a second thing. I was hoping for a list, but alas, no. But it's not something that is probably going to change your life or cause a massive shift in the way you think about the world or look at other people, except maybe suspecting that everyone is a murderer. Because if that's anything we learned from Agatha Christie, it's that everyone can be a murderer. So look out for eccentric French-speaking detectives and nosy little old ladies if you're a murderer, because they're coming for you. They'll find you. But of course, I don't think that all novels are just fluff and it's just a story. And once you've read it, you've had a good time and now you move on. Obviously, some are very profound. That's why uh, the classics are the classics and they've stayed with us and people continue to read them hundreds of years after they were first published. And some of them don't gain popularity until well after the author has died and so that's, it's not that I think that only things like <laughs> Plato and C.S. Lewis deserve to have notes taken in the margins. For example, I recently read Brideshead Revisited, and that's a great book, and though this is why I've been thinking, really started thinking about whether or not you should take notes in the book themselves, because the book, the copy of the book that I was reading was a used copy that I must have picked out from some used bookstore ages ago, once upon a time because it was full of underlinings and notes, but not from anyone that I knew. And there was a name in the front cover, but I didn't recognize it. So it's definitely did not belong to somebody that I knew. And these notes were infuriating. They didn't make any sense to me. They, uh, whoever it was, I assumed it was a woman. I don't know why. I refer to her in my mind as the annoying brideshead revisited lady. Um, I, I, the handwriting looked slightly female, but I am by no means an expert, so it could have been a man. I'm just going to assume it was a woman, and I'm going to continue to call her she. So she had written odd notes uh, or noted odd passages, or say there was a, a long paragraph 
with some wonderful sentences in it, as Evelyn Wise wanted to fill his paragraphs with. And uh, she would underline the ones that I thought uh, were the not as important ones. <laughs> um, there would be uh, a, a very, there, there would be a, a profound or I thought mic droppy moment. And that's the one that I would have underlined or bracketed or otherwise took note of. But no, nope, she ignored it and went for a different one. But of, of course, if I had been in a less irritated mood, because this did sort of ruin my experience of reading this novel to the point that halfway through, I purchased another copy of the book in order to finish it because I just couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> I just couldn't be continually distracted by what I took to be these, this woman's in, inferior note-taking ability. But of course, um, if I had had a little bit more patience and perhaps empathy in the moment, I would have taken the time to maybe uh, try to find the uh, the essence of this this person's soul who had previously read this book. But also, I can't imagine finding a book full of notes that were mine or someone that I knew and then giving it away. That's why I think that note-taking in books should be reserved for you and the people who love you or know you. Because if I say that whoever this person is, say that she since died and her family found her copy of Brides Had Revisited and then gave it away, they had they taken it and read it and seen her notes, they might have appreciated it or had some uh, nostalgia or uh, perhaps learned something about this friend or family member that they hadn't known about her before. But they passed it on to me, who could not appreciate her depth, her inner mind, <laughs> the inner workings of her soul, because I didn't know her at all. I've since given away that copy of the book too, so perchance I'm being a little hypocritical. And uh, if I'd had a little bit more presence of mind, I would have hung on to it and maybe tried to do a character study of some kind about this woman who I've never met and probably will never meet because in my imagination she's dead now, apparently. That's new. The long and short of it is, I think that if you're going to write in a book, you should be judicious and sparse. Only take note of the things that another person could not take note of. And I think what I mean by that is if you make a connection with uh, another experience that you've had, be it literary or visual or personal or other adjectives that fit <laughs> and make sense here, then you should note that down because it's something that you can't go back and look up. I don't see the sense in noting dates or historical context or something like that because if I can go back and google it I don't feel the need to scrawl it in the margin. I think not that the margins are sacrosanct and should remain pure and white is the driven snow or slightly yellowed <laughs> depending on how old the text is but uh, that they should be used wisely and sparingly. Um, because 
you want someone who's picking up this book after you've left it behind to be able to experience the book on their own and not have you totally invade their thoughts, but sort of accompany them and uh, be complimentary with an E <laughs> uh, to give them an additional experience that's going to be enriching and positive not distracting and of course considering how many times I have changed my mind on this subject um the pendulum has swung back and forth a few times it's possible 10 years from now I might have a completely different idea and I may pick up a used copy of some other book I've intended to read and it's full of somebody's notes and I totally appreciate it and I will kick myself for being so unfair to Brideshead Revisited Notes Lady. Um, I kind of doubt it, but you never know. I've been wrong before. Allegedly. I'm just kidding. I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> but I do think that books and literature, both fiction and nonfiction, are a distinctly personal experience that you should choose to share very deliberately with other people. And not that I mean that you shouldn't talk about your reading experience. Obviously, book clubs are great. They are the, you know, under-socialized introvert's best friend. I am in at least two at the moment. But there are certain things that I think are okay to keep to yourself, um, not because they are uh, untoward or inappropriate, but there are certain things that um, you can keep inside, reflect on, and they don't have to be openly shared for them to uh, be profound or to affect your life and make a significant change in the way that you view the world and then act moving forward. And I think actually the ones that you don't share are the ones that are the most important. But obviously, books can change your life. I recently had a rereading of Twelfth Night, which informed a major personal decision. Anyway, I think I have rambled long enough for my first go at this. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, please subscribe. Um, is five-star five reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called, is that still a thing? If that's still a thing, do that. Um, or if you're not feeling quite so generous, a uh, fewer number of stars, I guess, is acceptable, if not preferable. Um, yeah, subscribe on whatever your preferred podcast platform receipt method is. Um, haven't trained the carrier pigeons to drop off cassette tapes just yet, so maybe that will be a premium content thing if we ever get to a juncture where premium content is a thing. If you, for some reason, like me, uh, you can find me on the internets, on various social media sites. My Twitter is at MonWritesTweets. My Instagram is at MonTakesPics. And I also have a website called MonicaMurrayDurr.com. Unimaginative, I know, but at least it makes it e easy to find me. If you enjoyed the podcast, come back. In a semi-regular interval, I will have thoughts on something else. 
Maybe they'll be more coherent than this one. I can't make any promises, um, but it will entertain me if no one else. So if you'd like to listen to me entertaining myself for about 20 minutes, uh, come back and I will see you next time.